Hello and welcome to this week's Alpha Podcast. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined again by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? I'm very well, thanks, John. Good. Hunkering down for lockdown too? I've been, I'm always hunkered down. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a strange time. A bit of a strange time. And, and we've got some, uh, some companies we want to talk about who may or may not be impacted by yet another shutdown of large chunks uh, of the economy. I think we're going to talk about Sainsbury's. Um, which in the context of the grocery industry, and we had some numbers from Mercado this week, which actually looked very good, um, uh, could be uh, something to keep an eye on. We're going to talk about Auto Trader uh, and the automotive sector in the UK, which, uh, uh, defying everyone's expectations, has, has done extremely well uh, over the last few months, uh, the, the industry as a whole and, and Auto Trader as well. Uh, and then there's a couple of other companies that I think you wanted to talk about, ABF and Senior to take us on a little bit yeah. of detail. Should we start with, uh, we start with Sainsbury's? I mean, let's talk, start with lockdown. What do you make of all this? Uh, I'm not sure what to make of it, uh, I th- which is, I think makes me very similar to most people. I think there's no point reasoning, you know, why um, other, other people have gone into that. I think what is clear is that it's, it's not good. It's not good for the economy. And... We've, we've, we've seen, we've had little sort of insights into it with these local tiered lockdowns. And you've, you've seen trading updates from pub companies which have been telling you how bad it is. Now these companies have been going from maybe 50% of what they would expect in terms of, of revenue to nothing again. You know, we're told, we're told that... that uh, this is all going to end on December the 2nd. I think yesterday when the, the government came out and said that the furlough scheme was going to last, I think, is it March the 21st? I think is the, is the day. Yes, it's definitely, um, uh, definitely sometime in, in 2021 in March. That, that to me is just, you know, the government covering its backside to extend extend the lockdown because I don't think any any sort of considered opinion on on the virus believes that a four week lockdown is going to get it going to get the numbers under control. So this is going to be a pretty horrible winter for lots and lots of sectors. Uh, you mentioned pubs already. Uh, hospitality must. I mean, this is their busiest time of year. This is when they make a huge amount of their money going into the Christmas period. The same with the retailers. Uh, and you have to look across those two sectors and think people aren't companies aren't going to survive this. If they can't trade in the period of the year where they make most of their money, th- th- that's that's it. They've got to be toast. Yeah, I mean, you look at you know you look at like a lot of general retailers, and you, you know this. I mean, obviously, don't forget that these companies can still trade online and will trade online aggressively to try and make this up. But you know, it's not uncommon for many many retailers, general retailers, to make seventy five. 80% of their annual profit at, at Christmas. And, you know, their their annual profits, how good they are, um, how much they grow, how much they are against analyst expectations and therefore their share prices hinge on this, I don't know, eight to 10 weeks of, of Christmas trading activity. And it, it, you know, it's bound. It's bound to reduce it. I don't. I don't think there's any any doubt about that. Yeah, and not all retailers have have uh, have made as much progress online as 
as they perhaps should have done. So, you know, we saw, we saw some trading figures from Dunelm this week, which were decent. They've done a very, very good job, of, as we spoke about recently, of, of, of switching their model to more of an online one, obviously with the company by Click and Collect. Um, but then we've seen, seen other retailers really struggle to, to move quite as quickly online. And actually going online just takes them up against some of the pure play guys. You know, suddenly you've got this big, fearsome Amazon competitor lurking in the background. Um, and then everything comes down to sort of logistics and delivery. So, yeah, I, I can see this being a, a very difficult time for, for, for perhaps some of the less nimble retailers. M&S, for example, have never quite nailed their online offer. And you, you do worry that that they're really going to get really hit hard this Christmas. It's not just about the scale of, of online sales versus sales in, in store, but it's whether it's whether the companies are set up, have set their online business up in the right way. And or you know, and more more importantly, a way that they can make make profits from. I've talked. I wrote an article a few weeks back about, and we talked about it on the podcast about food retail and delivery, and how the delivery cost is making it very difficult to serve customers in, a, in an affordable way and allow them to make profits because the margins are so wafer thin, um, and, and the costs associated with serving the customer online are so high that even though you can get all these sales through um it's actually very difficult to make meaning meaningful profits from it yeah so, so as i mentioned earlier we, we saw some pretty decent numbers from ricardo uh which are in this week's magazine but you know the question we're asking there is you know how how, how long can they continue you know if everybody's doing the same thing you know ricardo as you have pointed out many times struggle to make money uh despite you know being being very very high growth uh, and you've got tesco coming along um you know offering a, you know, a very good internet delivery service um sainsbury's obviously trying the same with a, with a bit le- less success you know this is it's, it's going to be brutal it's going to get even more brutal you'd imagine yeah i think so i mean you know ricardo is is showing a bit of leverage now it's 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 showing that i mean the thing, the thing about ricardo which is frustrating is it it talks about ebitda ebitda is not a proper measure of profit in a business where you know you have de, you know delivery vans you know, they don't last forever. They need to be replaced. Software doesn't last forever. It needs to be updated and, and replaced. So, you know, when you, you know, my, my view is that when you take into account, you know, replacement expenditure, then there isn't much trading or operating profit here. It's, it's getting better. There is there is some operational leverage here, which is which is, you know, profits increasing faster than sales. But there's not much, to be frank. With I think you've seen you've seen a step change this year with Ocado, but Ocado's profit margins on its measure are not yet up to the level of what the what the core core supermarkets are making, selling predominantly from a supermarket store. Yeah, and and, and, you, and so, you you talk about scale. I mean, you know, just to just to give a, a flavour of that, Ocado does about three hundred and forty-five thousand orders a week. Tesco has doubled its capacity to one point five million. Sainsbury's is up yeah. to seven hundred thousand. So Ocado is still pretty small in the grand scheme of things, and it's been chipping away at this for a long, long time. It has, and you know, it, you know, the thing about capacity, you know, this is this is the this is the thing you have matching capacity with demand 
and then leveraging that capacity so you can make some some incremental profits out of it is a real challenge in this industry. I mean, I, I think most people think that more people after, if you know, hopefully one day we come to an end of all this, and I think there will be more people who will stick with deliveries. I think one of the things that crosses my mind is that you know Sainsbury's and Tesco have expanded capacity so significantly. There could be a case where where we come out of this and people are so keen just to get out, you know, and go out and actually go and visit the supermarket and get out and about that they actually have too much capacity. Well, Tesco, Tesco's is planning to build 25 what he calls urban fulfillment centres to, uh, to, to to cope with its online business. I mean, that is that, that's a lot of capacity that it's putting into the market. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Should we talk about Sainsbury's quickly, who had some yeah. numbers uh, this week? They were they were a bit rubbish. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I looked into that. I, I thought they were actually all right, actually, um, apart from the bank, which went from a small profit into a quite quite a significant loss. We saw, we saw the same with Tesco, to be fair. So, you know, I think that's just the, uh, yeah. the way things you know, are at the moment. Things like provisions for bad debt and that kind of thing is uh, things like travel money as well is, is an earner for these companies and that. That's that's obviously taken a big hit. I, I find Sainsbury's a real, you know, quite an interesting case study because it's it doesn't doesn't do anything particularly well, and I don't mind that to sound to sound overly critical. That may be a bad choice of words, but you know, it isn't it isn't the best operator in in the sector, um, and it certainly isn't the lowest cost operator. So it's not doing anything that others don't do, and it isn't doing it cheaper than anybody else. And those are often the two main drivers of any significant competitive edge that a business has, doing something that others don't or doing it cheaply than others do. Sainsbury's doesn't either. And you know the business has struggled to grow its profits and is reliant on continually restructuring and cutting costs and changing its business. And that's what's, go, what's, what's going on, on now, you know, particularly with, uh, with Argos. Um, and I think there's actually some quite good things going on with Argos, with its general merchandise, and things like habitat and clothing. I actually think Sainsbury's is actually quite well positioned here. I think it has, it has an offer for customers through Argos, through clothing, through homeware, um, that actually is is good value and good range. And I can actually see see Sainsbury's doing quite well. Um, and particularly at Christmas, while some of its competitors might be closed, in this part of the market. The key problem, the key problem for Sainsbury's, and it's a you know it freely admitted this, is that it cannot shake the perception that it costs it's too expensive a place to shop and i think that perception is a correct perception by customers and i'm not sure how it can fix it i mean what it's trying to do is it's trying to take 600 million of cost out and throw the savings into online business 
convenience stores and cutting prices. But I, my, 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 my problem with Sainsbury's is that its business, it's got a lot of very, very big stores and it hasn't got enough customers going through the doors or, or clicking, their, clicking their mice on the internet. Well, isn't the strategy, though, to, to essentially migrate the Argos portfolio into those very large stores so that it has a, a, a well-established click-and-collect uh, premises uh, to, to really drive the non-food side of things? And it, uh, it's closing a lot of Argos standalone stores. Yeah. That's, that's a big part of what it announced in these results here, which sounds sensible. Yeah, that, yeah I, I totally agree. You know, that is the non-food strategy. And I think that makes a lot of sense because, you know, I just mentioned a few seconds ago about these big stores. And the problem is, is that, you know, there's not enough revenue per square foot on these stores to make them stack up. Shifting Argos into them helps address that. And it it improves the economics of Argos. It lowers the cost cost to serve the consumer. It it makes the management of stock, which is vitally important, not just in terms of the amount of it, but the accessibility to it, so much better. And I think this is this is this is a good thing that that Sainsbury's are doing. And I and I think that this this will help them possibly over the long term. The key thing with Argos is how does it. How does it go toe to toe with Amazon? You know, how does it, you know, it's up against Amazon in this kind of general merchandise, general retail, general everything type of market. What I think is, just going back to the grocery side of it, because I think this is, this is obviously still the main driver of, of profit. I, I think that Sainsbury's always tends to be play, playing a game of catch up on on price it never it never leads on price and it's always tried to trade on quality and i think that the the problem with that now is that the quality of what its competitors are are offering has gone up a lot and therefore sainsbury's is no longer offering anything special that that allows it to, to to get away with charging premium prices and so what it has to do, it has to cut prices and hopefully it drives more footfall or more online customers in response. And, and that's where the, there is a huge uncertainty. And this, is, this has been the battle that Sainsbury's has been playing for the last 20 years. I was, I was going to say, it feels like we've been here before. Uh, it feels like we've been here since I was a retail correspondent. And that was a very long time ago. Yeah, yeah. And I, I will say one thing that I think is interesting is that on their online business, 20% of their online grocery business now is click and collect. And I think click and collect is definitely the way to go on, on online grocery for a very sim- simple reason that you're taking the delivery cost element out of it. Yeah, I think that's true. That's true across all retail. That's true across all retail. It's the, pro- it's the most yeah. profitable business because obviously, yeah. as you say, Dunhelm, 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 you exactly. know, you mentioned, yeah doing really well with that. And I think that this is the thing that, and I'm, you know, trying to persuade, obviously consumers, a lot of them people just like to sit at home and have a, have a van come and deliver it to their, to their door. But sooner or later, I think there's going to have to be a reckoning on this and that companies are going to have to put their hand up and say, look, 
either you're going to have to pay more to have this delivered or you're going to have to come and pick it up. Yeah, I think there could be some, some crunch in that logistics side of things at some point. I think you're absolutely right. That's, that's why these businesses don't really make enough money, because they're absorbing these, these enormous costs of getting the goods out to people's homes. Ricardo's always going to struggle in that respect, unless people can pick up from Marks and Spencer, maybe. But, uh... Yeah, I think this is, this is the thing that, that the main supermarkets have over Ricardo, is that they have this huge network of, of local stores, um, you know, it's just this concept known as like a dark, it's called a dark store, where you can actually change the, change the makeup and the configuration of your store to serve your, your online business. And also then you cut the, deliver, the length of delivery. So you cut, uh, or sorry, well, you don't cut delivery, you cut delivery as well. But also you, the consumer doesn't have to, have, have to go that far to pick it up, hopefully. Um, the economics are complicated. The, getting it all sorted out, you know, things like frozen food and that kind of thing. But this is the way to go. And I think the supermarkets have got the platform to do this. Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree. I mean, and actually, if you look at M&S, who obviously Ocado now works with, a lot of their food stores tend to be in sort of in the middle of a high street, uh, in the middle yeah. of a station where actually parking is really quite difficult. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, your Tesco's and Sainsbury's do actually have very large car parks where it's easy to drive into and, and pick up your stuff. Actually, and I don't know whether this is sort of reflective of Sainsbury's click-and-collect strategy. If you go to my local Tesco, there is a dedicated click-and-collect point where you actually... And it's been there for years, and you drive through and you, you pick your stuff up. When, during lockdown, we did the same from Sainsbury's, they'd actually driven one of their delivery vans out the back, and you were click-and-collecting out the back of their delivery van. And this was a brand-new store. So, you know, and when I thought about that, I thought perhaps they haven't thought ahead here to put that click-and-collect point in place. And it just seems yeah, reflective uh, of the whole business and the way they think. I think that's I think that's largely true. I, I think, but also I think that you know they they build these supermarkets on an old way of thinking that most people come. Then then they're stuck with a footprint. You know, the car park doesn't change in size, or you can change how it's you know laid out. But yeah, so this this is this is this is one of the challenges. You know, and obviously I suppose you can do that with slots and scheduling. And, and that kind and that kind of thing. I think there's a way around it. Yeah, they just seem very yeah. late to think about. It. They just seem, as you say, like a follower a lot of the time. You know, yes, they're they're, they're moving stuff forward, but but so is everyone else, and, and perhaps competitors are in many respects moving things forward a little bit quicker. We've still got it on a sale, uh, but then you know this has been a, a steady downward journey for years. I think that's true, John. But I think we're all learning here. I think I think I think the the, the COVID and the lockdown has really put companies on the spot and, you know, they're having to adapt very quickly to, to changes in circumstances. And I think we'll see, I think we'll see a lot of improvements. I think the bottom line, bottom line for me on this, John, is that I'm not sure this changes the economics of food retail and general retail dramatically to change the values of the companies in the sector in a good way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Should we talk, should we talk about another sector that, that could be uh, somewhat exposed to COVID, which is uh, the, the automotive industry? Um, and we saw some numbers from Auto Trader this week, who's obviously the sort of front end to that industry, uh, obviously the portal where all the dealers uh, promote their stock. These numbers are good. And I know you've been a big fan of this company for some time. What, what did you make of what came out of them this week? Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a lot to be encouraged about. In, not just in terms of, of how resilient the business has been in a very difficult time, but how they've treated their customers and also, you know, how they are changing in response to the changes in, in, in consumer behavior and retail behavior and innovating and developing new products to, 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 to serve them. I think I think it was very very good. I mean, this is this is a this is as you know insanely profitable company. It's like you know it's the right move of the of the of the motor industry. It's pretty much it's a very similar similar business model. It's a largely you have a it's a web based IT portal with a lot of fixed costs and a lot of um, tremendous brand power and. What's called in the financial jargon or as a network effect in that the more people use it, the more valuable it becomes. And it becomes so valuable that if you are a car dealer or a customer, you just cannot afford not to not to be on that site. And it, and it does some really good things to to keep its customers happy. Uh, so obviously COVID is a, is a very difficult time for the car industry, but also traders responded by giving um, lots of the free listings. So, I mean, this is a, this is a business that, you know, uh, it's very profitable. It can afford to do that. And obviously that's going to create a lot of goodwill with its customers. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when you've got profit margins of 70%, you, you, you've, got the, you've got the flexibility to, to be kind to your customers. And... You know, you saw it. You saw it in the results. You know, where the, the customers were given free advertising in in May, sorry, in April and May, and then a twenty five percent reduction in June, and that led to the sort of average rental per retailer per month, average revenue, sorry, per retailer per month. That was coming down from about nineteen hundred to around twelve hundred. That all flows through to the, you know, to the revenue line. You know, you have revenues down about 37% for the half year and profits were down 50, 48%, I think they were down. Yet the profit margin was still 58%. Still, st- even with a halving of profit, the profit margin was still 58%. In December, they're going to give their customers another, another free period of, of, of rent. Oh, sorry, of, of, of advertising. You, you can argue that's, that's come at the expense of shareholders in the short term because they've decided, they've said they're not going to pay a, a half-year dividend um, now that the second lockdown's been out. So shareholders might be a little bit aggrieved at that. But, but you know, you could argue this is one of those companies that, that actually the, the, the story is more about growth than the dividend. Well, yeah, I mean, dividend, you know, unlike Sainsbury's, which paid a, you know, paid a special dividend or announced a special dividend yesterday whilst it was making 3,500 people redundant. Um, you know, auto trader quite sensibly is is you know being quite sensitive to to shareholder payouts. And you're right, you know, there is a short term pain here, but actually, what they're doing for their customers, as we rightly say, they may have no choice. 
but it but it but it shows that they they are they are managing their business and trying to keep trying to keep their customers on side and at the same time there's lots of good things going on behind the scenes it's very interesting that you know they've just gone through their annual pricing round and they haven't put the prices up for the you know the top products yet they at the same time they are offering more data uh they're offering it more often and therefore the market intelligence that they're offering these the, these car dealers um, is getting better and you know they they're also doing things like you know new car products where people can view cars over the internet and things like price guaranteed pricing for people who want to sell their car on the internet and that can be that then moved into like a part exchange um product for for car dealerships and then you've also got things like you know the financing side of it making it easier to gain access to finance and the price of finance so this is not a company that's abusing its dominance in the market and just creaming it it is it is not resting on its laurels and is innovating and offering its consumers and its customers more and i think that you know when you're looking at a business these are the kind of things that you want to see yeah absolutely i mean it's you know the, the car industry has as as we've mentioned been surprisingly resilient um you know new, new car registrations you know obviously yeah it's been up and down but they're, but they're looking reasonably solid uh used car sales are good but then you could perhaps argue that also trader is helping to keep this industry going you know if if they are helping their customers in the way they are then then they're actually perhaps part of part of why the car industry has been as resilient as it has. It's a great story. Should we, should we talk quickly before we wrap up? I mean, we, we also wanted to talk quickly about Howden's, uh, which we, we, we like, but we know that yeah, they've had a, a very su- a surprisingly good year. People have still been installing kitchens despite the, uh, despite the effects of COVID. There was ABF, which I think we, uh, you've discussed in your Alpha report. Uh, Primark's obviously taken a bit of a hit this year. It's going to have to close a lot of stores. No online offering there. That could be problematic for no. them. I think it would be very problematic. I think what, what was encouraging, I think, though, is how quickly this company bounced back. And it's recovered. All, it, it, it's actually recovered all the market share that it, that it lost by, by being closed, which is, you know, people love people, you know, regardless of what you say, people love this brand. Um, it's incredibly popular. Uh, you know, when, when the stores were reopening, there were you know long queues for people waiting to get back in we've talked a lot about cheap clothes in recent weeks and you know you can take a view on that but primark still got a lot of legs i think you know when when we get back to back to normal times this is a business that still i think i got a lot of growth and it's a global it's a global growth story as well it's not it's, even though the bulk you know nearly half the selling space and the stores are in the in the uk um, there's a lot that can be done rolling this model out overseas, I think. Yeah, the, sh- the shares have uh, fallen quite, quite heavily over the past 12 months and, and are looking a, a little bit better value than they, they did a year or so ago. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I mean, the, these shares, you know, a couple, couple of years ago were sort of trading, what, close to 35 quid a share. And they look really overpriced. Um, now they're down at, what, 16, 17 pounds a share, 
They trade on about, what, 14 times earnings, something like that. Even when you take into account, you know, the ups and downs that you get with the sugar business, which is a real pain in the backside if you're a shareholder in this, because a bad sugar year can offset, you know, the progress at Primark. I think you've got to say now that current current levels, you know, you are you're getting a bit, you know, that's that's in the price, and um, you know you've got a good good grocery brands here. Um, the food ingredients business is is doing very well with yeast and bakery ingredients, and and they've got an enzyme business that's making good progress, and it's a very well managed family company. I, you know, I look at AB Foods now a lot more favourably than I would do to, would have done two or three years ago because I think the price is looking quite good. Yeah, nice bit, nice bit of value hunting. Talking of value hunting, let's round off with Senior, uh, an engineering business in the aerospace and automotive sectors. I mean, this this company's had a bit of a bit of a tough time, but you you've spotted something. Tell tell us what you're seeing, Phil. This is a sort of classic distressed high-risk value opportunity, potentially, and potentially a trap. And, you know, this is, this is a business which makes, you know, high-quality components and parts that go on, go in aircraft, go on aircraft engines and, um, you know, move fuel and that kind of thing around, it's around like, aircraft. It's ducting, really, isn't it? It's... it's- Pipes and ducting and yeah, yeah, and then parts, you know, bits for the engines and mountings and that kind of thing. So, so it must that, have been, it must have had a horrific year then, because obviously the all, oh, the, yeah. air, the aerospace industry, certainly the civil aerospace industry, has largely shut down, and that's yeah. its bread and butter. Absolutely, and the other thing as well, I mean, is that their biggest customer uh, is Boeing, and um, they were they were selling a selling a lot of stuff into the 737 Max, which is the, you know, the ill-fated, ill-fated Boeing 737 plane that I don't think I would want to get on. Um, but there are signs that this will, you know, hopefully eventually turn around. I mean, if you look at China, for example, you know, we've got, China now, where flying activity is back to pre-COVID levels. So we know that when when things come out, that people do get on aeroplanes again. And I think the aerospace business is going to take some time to recover. I mean, they're not talking about production rates getting back until 2025, 2024, 2025, from where they were from where they were last year, but the company's looks like it's got enough money to survive. Um, the risk, obviously, is that it will have to raise equity. That's that's the big risk. Um, but it's got a lot of contracts in place, seven three seven aside, to to benefit from any pickup. And then you've got the other side of the business, which sells into the heavy truck industry, things like emissions products and that and that kind of thing. That's going to that's forecast to recover quite strongly next year. So you throw in, you know, a gradual recovery. Um, The aerospace business is being restructured and they reckon that's going to deliver benefits of 
45 to 50 million pounds a year. And this is a company that is that made 90 million last year and it's going to make virtually nothing this year. And you can see the potential for this company, which is, you know, pretty much close to its its lows. I think its low was about 43p this year. And it's currently, well, last night when I was, or yesterday when I was right, it was at 49p. It's with, for those investors that like to consider recovery type situations, something for them to, I think, to put on their watch list and, and, and dig into a bit further. Yeah, it's, it's perhaps a very good example of the, uh, the, the whole debate which is rage, raising right now, raging right now, about whether, when value may, if ever, stage a comeback. Um, cheers, Phil. It's been good talking to you this morning. We'll catch up again next week. All right. Thanks a lot, Jim. Cheers. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.